What is it you want? Real estate. It's the Red Hot Real Estate Show, where we can all find out how's it going for buyers and sellers in the real estate market. I have died and gone to real estate heaven. Looking to move? Hoping to sell? Call in with your questions to real estate expert Mimi Shoneman with Remax Results. I'm gonna go out and buy a house. Here she is, your host, Mimi Shoneman. Yes, she is here, your host of the Red Hot Real Estate Show and licensed realtor with Remax Results, Miss Mimi Shoneman. Hello, good how's it morning. going over there? Good, good morning. Good. Glad to see you. Glad to hear our friend Phil Olson is on the phone from Cross Country Mortgage. Hello, Phil. Good morning, guys. Hi, we're glad to have you as well. Let's get your NMLS number out of the way. NMLS two three eight one zero three. Company NMLS three zero two nine. Cross Country Mortgage. So we are going to help solve some problems out there, hopefully for people who may currently be uh, in the midst of some difficult relationship drama. We're going to help them not have that mess up their housing and kind of turn that into drama. But is there still so much going on in the market right now? Before we get to that, Mimi, you know, here's what I want everybody to hear: is to hear Phil's heart and my heart. We know how hard. It is out there right now. We have just about one month of inventory. Right. Last year we had two and a half. And now we don't have even that. I don't know. Um, everybody is really trying hard. Right. When you don't have a lot to look at. I want you to hear me when I say you cannot have champagne taste today. Right. If you really, really, really want to have housing. And what I'm seeing, and Phil, you can jump in here in a minute. Um, if we have cut in half from last year, what do we think is going to happen in 12 more months, Phil? What I'm seeing, and I totally agree with you, Mimi, is there there is not a house that's being accepted that's not going over list price. Right. Meaning, meaning their offers are ten, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars over the list price, but. The one thing that I really want to convey to folks out there is the the national prediction for the Minneapolis metro area is a 7.5% increase in housing prices here in 2021. Okay. So if we use, if we use a hypothetical $350,000 purchase, say in Minneapolis, that same house, if the prediction holds, which I believe it will, will be worth 376 by the end of the year. So that house has gone up by $27,000. So if that client makes a $30,000 over listing price offer, they're not putting themselves upside down. Okay. And that's what we're pe- what I hear is people going, "Well, we're afraid that if we offer this, the house won't, won't be worth this." We're not seeing that. Well, so here's the thing. Here's what here's what worth is to me, is when somebody tells me, Miss Shannon, you tell me, I'm ready. I want to buy a house. Right. My job as your realtor is to find you a house, get you into a house. Right. In your parameters, whatever your loan officer, like Phil would tell me, whatever your program. Mm-hmm. Not every house, townhouse or condo, is going to work with every program. Right. Phil. That being said, not every client is going to get every bell and whistle they want. It right. doesn't exist. So if they have if they have ten wants, that that buyer needs to understand maybe Meany and I are gonna be able to find six or seven. 
and maybe over time you can, you know, build those other wants into that same home. Maybe. You want to remind people, I mean, as as someone who just purchased a home last year, it really was, okay, here's the things I need. Now I'm going to put in X and I'm going to put in Y and make all of these other changes because I know I'm in, I'm stable. I was able to get, you know, get a couple of, you know, mortgage payments under my belt, see how things were, and then make some good choices on what's the next thing I'm going to do in the house. But you know what, Ms. Shannon, you listened. Right. Okay. You mm-hmm. you listen to the advice that was given to you. Now, if you're listening to this, we want you to know we love you all. Right. We do. Um, but you do have to, to hear us when we're saying, now, if you want, if you qualify up to $150,000 and your program is FHA, mm-hmm. do you know how far you have to go outside the metro to hit that? Talking 20 miles? How many, like, how far are we talking? 70. 70, okay. Between 45 and 70. Mm-hmm. And then you aren't even sure until you see it if it really will. Right. Um, so there's pressure, y'all. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when you say, well, i really re- rather have a townhouse, not a condo. Well, okay, I, I hear you, I feel yes. you. But if there's no townhouses available and a condo is all that there is, we also have to figure out, does the condo building... Is it approved for FHA? Phil, let's talk a little bit about how you can take an FHA buyer who are some of our most stressed out buyers in the market. How can you take an FHA person and convert them to a conventional so they have more power? Well, uh, I mean, really the key is understanding the different programs that are available. Some lending institutions don't have these programs. Some lending institutions only sell directly to Freddie Mac, where I sell to Freddie Mac, Ginnie Mae, and Fannie Mae. So just just real quickly, I mean, you, we've talked about it on the show, Home Possible, great Fannie Mae program where it has looser lending guidelines, looser credit guidelines. You've got Home Possible. You've got Minnesota Housing, all right? And you don't even have to use down payment assistance through Minnesota Housing. They have looser guidelines in specific areas to where you can convert that FHA buyer to it is a conventional loan. Um, I can go all the way down to 640. You know, 640 is a very, I'm not going to say it's a great score. It's a Mm -hmm. low score. But you can get that loan product. You can get that consumer qualified for a conventional loan with that type of score. Uh, debt to income ratio restrictions. Your, your home possible program, some of these first time home buyer programs that I'm talking about have higher debt to income ratio uh, authority, which allows that consumer to have more purchasing power. So it really comes down to looking at every single thing. And then sometimes it's called credit tweaking. For that FHA buyer, I would I would tell them, anybody that's qualified out there for FHA, they should call me here Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday of this week and say, Phil, can you convert me to a conventional loan, which is what your sellers want right now? That is what the market wants. It does not want FHA buyers. Call and, me. Let yeah. me run the scenarios. Let me see if I can help you. 100% call Phil. And Phil, what's your phone number for folks to reach you? Six five one two three eight six seven four eight, 
And I will tell you, uh, I, if I had a dime for every person I converted from FHA to a conventional, my pockets would be full left and right. Let me just tell everybody, if you don't know what we're talking about, and, and this is the first time you maybe ever heard this show before, FHA is a government-backed program. Right. And it's 3.5% down payment. And there's many reasons why people qualify for that type of program versus conventional. Right. But if you are stacking your programs up, so people hear, hear us, it's not just about the price. Mm-hmm. It really is not. It's, it's the whole package. Just like if you're dating, you know, you tell me I want somebody who's X, you know, this tall, this thin, yes. this, mm-hmm. this rich, mm-hmm. you know, it's the whole package. Right. So, you know, if you are able to convert to, to a conventional loan, it does make you more attractive to sellers. But keep in mind, your down payment also matters to sellers. If you're just 3% down and you've got somebody coming in with 20 or more percent down, they're more attractive. Okay. It's, just, it's just math. And, you know, the other thing is, is you have to also be thinking about what does a seller really want? Maybe they need some time to find another replacement house and they're going to ask you to put that in their offer. Maybe they don't want to deal with any headaches, so they really, really want you to waive your inspection. Mm-hmm. We are seeing more people waive their inspection right now than I have ever seen since right. I've been licensed. Phil? I'm seeing, I'm seeing offers of earnest money not at 1%. They're at 2%. They're at 3%. And for those folks out there that are going, well, I'm going to put 3% down, put it all down as earnest money. It goes against down payment. You're not coming with more money to the table. I mean, the, the other thing I, I would tell folks is uh, this, this weekend alone, I have strategized with four different agents to include Mimi this weekend uh, on how to structure deals because the clients are wanting to make offers. Right. So for all those clients out there that are talking with your online lenders and you're not able to talk to your loan officer over the weekend and they're not helping you structure your deal or strategize your deal, I'm sorry to say you're losing out. And I'm going to go one step further. If your loan officer will not give you their cell phone number so you can reach them when real estate is happening in the real world, then you have not picked the right person. Right. If I want to write your offer, Miss Shannon, it's 7 o'clock at night on a Saturday. That's what and, we got to do. And you can't reach your person to get your pre-approval letter. You're done. Right. You're absolutely toast. And Phil and Mimi, I think the other thing is that we, you know, we want to, we're just trying to give people realistic expectations. And if you go, okay, um, I want to do this tomorrow, the answer may not be you can do it tomorrow. But if you're working with qualified professionals like the two of you, it's we can do this over time because it might be a combination of there's some homework assignments that Phil might give them that they need to, uh, to be able time to work on to get their best offer. Or it might be you as their, their real estate agent, you need more time to find another property for them or to go, okay, based upon what you can do, we have to go this far out and it just gives, you know, that gives you time to hustle up that house. Yeah. And, you know, Phil, Phil likes to talk about being the puzzle solver. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all solving puzzles right. right now. We're digging in the dirt to find all the stuff and we're working hard. Right. I've never worked harder in my life. And so when we come back from the break, we'll continue talking about the struggles of the market. And we're also going to dive in a little bit about divorce. Right. And you can be part of the Red Hot Real Estate Show. Please call us at 651-641-1071. We'll be right back here on My Talk 1071. 
Welcome back to the Red Hot Real Estate Show here on My Talk 1071 and streaming on MyTalk1071.com. Here with Mimi Shoneman, your licensed realtor from Remax Results, also Phil Olson from Cross Country Mortgage. We'd love for you to call in with any and all questions about what's going on right now out in the mortgage and the real estate world. The number is 651-641-1071. I think we couldn't have pl- have planned a better segue song. Oh. <laughs> you know what Ain't I'm saying? Ain't nothing but a heartbreak. Oh, no, exactly. Yeah. Right, because we are talking about whether you are already uh, in the midst of a divorce, these are some questions that you should probably ask as you are working through this, because it is going to make your life a lot more complicated, oh, basically, gonna, right? We're going to jump around. Mm-hmm. We're going to jump around. Next time, we'll play that song. Um, <laughs> Phil. All right, so what I really want you to, to explain to our listeners who maybe never listened before, one of the things that you do for divorcing folks that has been successful for you, let's talk about the quasi-separation agreement in great detail. All right, so the reason it's important is because most lenders will basically state that once you're in a divorce, you need to be through the divorce and you actually have to have a, a completely executed divorce decree signed off by a judge before the lender would even consider it is doing a home mortgage. Now, this can be used for a refinance, be it a buyout situation. Well, so what is a buyout situation? We have a divorce situation. We have equity in a home. The spouse is going to stay in the house, but the other partner wants to be bought out at a 50% or whatever that amount of money is. That is considered a rate and term refinance, even though most lenders will tell you it's a cash out. It's not. Under the Freddie Mac program, you can do what's called a rate and term refinance by drafting up what's called a quasi-separation agreement. What is it? It kind of looks just like a divorce decree. Believe it or not, you can actually Google Minnesota separation agreement, and you can find all kinds of tools out on the web that can help you structure that. But what does the quasi-separation agreement talk about? It talks about the separation of income, assets, liabilities, properties. Your, your, if there's children involved, be it in child support. It talks about potential alimony. The only difference is, is a quasi-separation agreement is really only used for a lender's purpose. It is a document that is signed by both parties. You must have it witnessed by two other individuals. It must be notarized by a notary. And believe it or not, I can't tell you the number of times I've even talked to divorce lawyers and they've never heard of such a thing, all right? And they go, oh my gosh, I wish we would have known this because we would have done that purchase or we would have done that refinance months ago based on that specific family situation, meaning. And so, to, to one of the ways that you would take advantage of this separation agreement is if spouses wanted to purchase a home before the divorce actually was final so that you could use both incomes to qualify for each of your both of their purchases right so two people with with incomes are going to be better than just one person so if you get through your divorce and it gets finalized 
you're going to be purchasing on your own income and not being able to bring in the spouse's income. So it's worth a conversation, right, Phil? Well, it's, it's definitely worth a conversation. And here's what I'll tell you about this specific type of transaction. If I've got parties that are amicable and they're willing to sit down and chat with me, I will listen to both sides of what they're wanting, okay? And then I can help them both structure two different transactions with the understanding I'm representing two different people. And sometimes it's in a conversation over the phone. Sometimes I'll actually have these couples come into my office with the understanding we're not arguing because I'm not going to, I'm not going to put up with that. It's here to do a business transaction. And I'm going to look at both parties, its wishes, their short term and their long term goals. And I can help them both plan individually so that they have that separation. So they have that peace of mind. So when you're talking about that separation, Phil, we've talked before and Mimi, you said this before that it takes one person to buy and two pers- two people to sell, right? That is correct. So if they're still technically married when they're having these discussions with you and 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 Phil, how if, if I'm trying to figure out how we each have our own house, now is the other person automatically since we were still married, still attached to whether I can sell this house? How do I take care of that? And this is exactly why this is important to know because okay. you're exactly right. You've mm-hmm. listened so well. Phil, mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that. Minnesota, one to buy, two to sell, it's a law. In the quasi-separation agreement, it needs to speak about that. And it basically needs to state what I buy is mine and what you buy is yours. And like I said, if you have a contentious situation, this is not something we want to go down the road with. Gotcha. But if if we've got a situation where... People may married for a long time, or they still like each other. Maybe they even love each other still. They just can't get along with each other, or they can't live with each other. This is a situation where you can bring both parties to the table, and you basically can get your get your apple pie, so to speak. Okay. And you can get your apple pie now versus having to wait. Especially, I will tell you right now, the court systems in COVID-19 are totally backed up. Mm-hmm. It's taking forever to get these divorce decrees through. Or sometimes folks have been separated for years. I've seen clients that have been separated and they still live together. This is where this type of situation will work for people because all too often I have clients say, but Phil, I was told by another party that I can't do this. And I go, all right, yes, you've been told correctly, but you can do this. Were you told that? And so many people don't understand what the rules and the regulations are. And as long as we live within the rules and the regulations, we're fine. So this works great for people who are still married. They're corrigible and they both want to purchase using each other's income so that they qualify for more. Right, Phil? Uh, they have, they're going to have to, they're going to have to, qual- they need to qualify on their own income. You can't be having two people. Okay, because that's where the quasi-separation, it's a separation agreement. So what's yours is yours, and what's his is his. 
So you're qualifying not on a combined income. You're qualifying on a separate income. Got it. Got it. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit more about some other things that people need to know when they are facing a divorce. I mean, the first thing, obviously, we've already talked about it a little bit, is are they, do you get along? Can you have a conversation? And, you know, finding out what your equity position is in the house that you own. And so we can take a look at property and we can do a market analysis for you and no cost whatsoever to determine a valuation. We also have a team of people who can help if you are really struggling because, you know, obviously divorce is emotional. You're right. struggling. You're going through your boxes. You've got your kids artwork. You got a doll here. You got China for Grant from grandma. Mm-hmm. You are looking and you don't even know. You're like. I cannot even focus on one room. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm losing my mind. We have professionals that we can refer you to that will help you through this process because moving under the best of circumstances is complicated. Yeah. You know, and you got to go through your husband's underwear drawer and, you know, his knife collection and, you know, boots. (laughs) If you like my friends, his comic book collection. Yeah. They're like, get rid of all the, give this all back. (laughs) And Phil, we got one minute till we hit the break. Mm -hmm. Here's one thing I hear all the time from these couples. Well, we've got an appraiser coming to the home. Folks, don't get an appraisal. You can get one, but you can't use it for the mortgage. That's where I hear people go, well, you mean we have to get another appraisal? That's where they call me first. Let me do the appraisal because the appraisal can then be used for the transaction. Gotcha. But there's there's times where people have already gotten appraisal and I'll go, well, that's great, but we need to get another one. And that that's five hundred dollars or more that that could be saved. Right. You know, because appraisers are going to be looking at the same information that realtors are going to be looking at. The data is the same. Right. Um, So you may as well have one someone on our team come out Mm -hmm. and take a look at your property and give you a valuation and determine a lot of different things. So, Phil, when we come back, we'll keep talking about divorce things that people need to know. And we'll talk about liens against the property. You can also be part of the Red Hot Real Estate Show. We encourage you to call us at 651-641-1071. You can also go to our website. It's mytalk1071.com. Keyword Red Hot. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Red Hot Real Estate Show here on MyTalk1071 and streaming on mytalk1071.com. I'm Ms. Shannon here with Mimi Shoneman from the Red Hot Real Estate Group and Remax Results. Also, Phil Olson from Cross Country Mortgage. Reminding you to call in. You can be part of the show. The number is 651 641 1071. I know we got somebody that's on hold right now. We'll get to you in just a couple of minutes. Okay, Phil. So you had a good story about a refinance and divorce. Let's tell everybody about that. All right. Matter of fact, this happened here in the last week. Client calls me, is super stressed, almost in tears, going through a divorce situation. Uh, It's been determined she needs to buy out the other spouse at a 50% equity position, meaning, in other words, whatever the profit is on the home, she has to share 50% of that. She talks with another lender, and the following words come out of the other lender's mouth. Well, ma'am, you need to figure it out, and when you figure it out, you call me back. That's not the approach, folks, I'm going to take, okay? First off, I showed a lot of sympathy and empathy. I uh, basically listened to her complete story. 
I asked her a lot of questions, and I under, tried to understand what the wishes of the borrower were, at the same time what the wishes of the ex-spouse might be. I took very good notes. The conversation lasted about an hour and a half. And I found out in the end that the, the expectations were very realistic, which is, which is positive. I then expressed that I wasn't a lawyer and I'm not going to give you legal advice. At the same understanding, at the same understanding time, I understand the process very, very well. So what was the solution? Yeah, the solution was we're going to do a rate and term refinance. The rate that I offered was three-eighths of a percent lower. We're going to list the ex-spouse as a marital lien against the property, like a second mortgage. And since it's a second mortgage, it's no longer a cash out. It's a rate and term refinance, which gets the consumer a lower rate. <clears throat> I also ran, it was, excuse me, a net sheet. And I also ran the closing costs with the understanding that the ex-spouse would bear half of the uh, half of the closing costs or it is that transaction. I worked up all the numbers. Then I asked her if she would like me to partner with her lawyer, which I already did. And right now the client is working with me, feels so much less stressed. And I'm walking this whole family through this process, making it much easier on them. Awesome. That's a great example of how hard you work for your clients, Phil. And I think that that might actually go to the call that we have on right now, reminding everyone they can be part of the Red Hot Real Estate Show here at 651-641-1071. Amy, thank you very much for holding. We appreciate your patience. It sounds like you have a compliment for our friend Phil. Amy? Oh, hello. Hello. Go ahead. You wanted to talk to Phil? I did. Hi, Phil. It's Amy. How are you? Hi, Amy. Oh, Phil. Okay. So I tuned into the Red Hot Real Estate Program. Um, I don't get to tune in a lot because I work on Sundays typically. And so I tuned in, like, it was probably back in November. And he was talking about refinancing. And he had gotten some really low rates. And so I emailed into... um, the, my talk and they connected me with him the very next day he called me like immediately and he I mean I mean I'm telling you within like two hours and I'm, and I'm not a person who is like knowledgeable in this type of you know like what he does for a living so I was just like you know I'm just going to get some information and he was just like I'm telling you from the beginning to end it was it, like spot on, like his numbers that he told me, I was getting like a 4.25 um, interest rate for my my mortgage. And we got down to like a 2.25. And he, within two hours, I'm not kidding, it, from start to finish. I mean, I, I <laughs> would you say it was like two hours still? Probably about two hours, yeah. I mean, if that. It was, it was amazing. So I'm telling you, like if you just even just are just wondering like how you would refinance and um, try and, you know, my husband had been laid off from work for like the last year because of COVID. And I thought, you know, we were doing fine, but I thought, you know what, we're still going to, you know, maybe we should see if I can get a lower house payment, a lower interest rate. Cause I don't know if he's going to be going back to work. I mean, I just was just trying to like be proactive. Right. And Phil was just amazing. Amazing. 
Thanks so much for sharing, Amy. We're glad that it was a, a success story for you. And I think that that's what we like to remind everybody is that it's instead of sitting around thinking how you can do this on your own, it's always worth it just to call. Right. Just to see what's the worst that can happen. It's probably going to be in your best interest that, you know, we can get our puzzle solver onto your case. Yeah, absolutely. So if people are just thinking like, you know, you know what, this is out of my league or I don't know how to like even approach this. Just call. Well, thank you, Amy. That's Thanks, awesome. Thanks, Amy. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. You. Have a great Sunday. Yep, you too. So, Phil, that brings up something that comes to mind. So, I have a lot of people say, well, I don't know. I I probably wouldn't save that much money if I refinanced my house. But what do you think is a good break-even point for folks to consider? Right now, where interest rates are at is if your rate is, or higher, it's worth a conversation. Now, if your loan amount is $100,000, a good standard rule of thumb would be a 1.5% reduction. But if you have a $400,000 home loan and you're able to reduce that interest rate by three quarters or a percent, it's worth a discussion because I'm going to look at what's called the break-even point. And anytime you can break even on a home mortgage in less than three years, it's worth doing. Phil, what do you see in your crystal ball about rates going in the next uh, six months? You think they're going to go up or go down? I predict they're going to go up. Okay. There's a lot of things going on in the economy. We've already started to see oil prices go up. Gasoline prices are going up. Heating costs are going up. Um we over the last week we've already seen an interest rate hike in the mortgage bond market that's what i watch continuously and interest rates have gone up a full quarter of a percent that being said though we're still below three percent and guess what if anybody out there thinks a 2.99 percent or 2.875 percent is a high interest rate I would just tell them to go back to the 1970s when my father had a 13% interest rate on his home mortgage. Well, I think even in 2005 and 2006, which a lot of people are comparing this market to that, weren't they somewhere between 5 and 6% back in 2005? 2005, yeah, I would say they were probably between 45 and 6% during that time frame. Big difference. You know, right, now, right now, money's free, and, and, and that's why... That's why we're seeing such a, a low inventory level is people get it. You, you know, anytime you can get in and get a home mortgage over 30 years that's below 3%, I mean, you're setting yourself up for success, and that's long-term success. So I would tell all those people out there that are paying $1,800, $1,700, $2,000 a month rent, buy a house. Buy a house. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Buy a right. house. You know, and I, I that makes me think about all of the people that are hunkered down in their home that's not working for them anymore because they're too afraid to jump out. You know, moving up right now could not possibly be better right. because you've got interest rates like never before. Well, home prices are not coming down. They're just going to go up. And you have a very, very desirable asset that you can control how that goes. Phil? I, I'm closing a loan this week where the client is uh, mortgage payment is 1960 bucks a month, and it's a $400,000 loan, 30-year fix. 400000 and your payment's less than 2000 
Wow. Now, for that person that's paying $2,000 a month uh, and they're renting, more than likely, they're probably in a 1980s home, maybe 1990. Maybe it's a two-bedroom, three-bath. This person's getting a four-bedroom, three-bath, and their their payment is less than two grand a month. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, and here's the thing, you know, there's just not enough rental properties, period. Right. And you have no control over your landlord. You are paying your landlord's mortgage. That is a fact. Right. And so I was just having this conversation with a, a client this week. You you can't outsave what is happening in the market right now. Well, maybe I'll just wait and I'll just rent again um, because it's just so so challenging, so tough. It is, but you have to be tough if you want to win in this market, and you can't just give up easily. Right. Um, you know, if you're going to be, if your rent's going up a hundred or hundred fifty dollars a year, at what point is that affordable anymore, Phil? If you want to be financially successful in life, folks, renting is not where it's at. All your millionaires and billionaires. 90% of them have made all their money off of real estate. And maybe that's commercial. Then again, maybe that's rental properties and, and, and everything like that. But 90% of the wealth that's been established in the United States has been through the housing market. It's not the stock market. It's not the bond market. Yes, those are great things. Those are a piece of the portfolio. But it's real estate. And, and what I'm telling you right now can be researched. Right. And and to that point, if you get into a, a financial hardship, but you're the owner of your own house, your own property, can you rent out your room in a challenging situation? Can you turn that basement into an apartment, help yourself out? What happens if your folks get old right. and then they have no place to go and they need some place to stay? You can put them in your own house. You don't have restrictions on your own house unless the neighborhood has something about it or your association. But still, yet you have more control over that. Right. And your prices are fixed. And that is an amazing thing. Believe it or not, I'm seeing actually a trend. And this trend I've been seeing maybe now for about four years. And that is more and more extended families are moving in with one another. I've got a neighbor that's got two brothers their wives, and it's a huge house, but there's three families in one home. And I'm seeing a lot more of that. I'm, I'm hearing clients wanting that mother-in-law's unit in the basement or on the second floor. So I'm seeing a lot more extended family situations based on housing prices are going up. But that's a very doable situation. A hundred percent. You know, for folks that have a basement, you know, you could turn that into any number of things. Right. You know, there's your home gym. There's your studio like you have. I have a studio in mine. And, you know, you can work from there. There's just lots of options. And so we for me, do. it was mostly, especially with some of the additional challenges my kiddo and I have, there were lots of reasons why I'm like, well, there's some modifications I want to be able to make to the home and I can do that because we own it. That's right. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's pride in that neighborhoods that have ownership, right? People take care of their places better. And you know, for me, just knowing that the price is fixed every month is helpful. Um, And so Phil, I think when we come back from this break, 
let's do talk about liens against properties and divorce and and dive into that a little bit what people really need to know in some scenarios welcome back to the red hot real estate show here on my talk 1071 and streaming on my talk 1071.com i'm Ms. shannon here with mimi shoneman from remax results and the red hot real estate group also here from cross country mortgage mr phil olson encouraging to call in as you heard amy could call in and give you uh, some uh, a, a real life scenario on how phil and was able to help and if you have any questions today is the day to call the number is 651-641-1071 okay phil so one of the things when folks are divorcing that they need to figure out is what happens to show up on their credit report and so one of the things that people need to be concerned about are liens and so you have a good story about that right absolutely so i had a client that called me and they go so this is how much we owe on our house. And they just told me what their mortgage balance. And I go, folks, there's more to it than that. And they go, well, what do you mean? I go, do you guys have any home equity loans? She goes, well, yeah. Is that a lien? I go, yeah, that's a lien. I go, how much do you owe on the home equity loan? Well, we owe $25,000. I go, by any chance, have you guys fallen behind on your federal tax returns and you owe money to the federal government. Well, yeah, we owe 15000 for the last two years and we're making monthly payments to the IRS. Well, that's considered a lien. As a matter of fact, federal taxes go into, it is a primary position. Okay. As a matter of fact, the, the federal tax returns are in first position. Your first mortgage would be in second position. And oh, by the way, that home equity loan is now in third position. Now, people might go, well, I don't have a home equity loan. I might go, well, do you have a line of credit? Well, yeah, we've got a line of credit. There's so many times people will get a line of credit and they don't realize that the lender puts it as a second mortgage against the home. So when you're determining an equity position in a property, we're not just going to look at the first mortgage. We're going to look at the second mortgage. Sometimes I've seen people have a third mortgage. Sometimes then they have a home equity loan. And oh, last but not least, we owe money to the federal government in back taxes on a federal tax return. Those are all liens. They all have to be counted. And then you minus your value from that li- those liabilities. And sometimes I found out that they owe 350000 And I'm sorry to say the house is worth three hundred and twenty. Mimi, what do we have there now? We have a short sale situation. Wow. Ding, ding, ding. And that's a sad, sad day. Um, we, we are seeing very few short sales, I will have to say, because of the equity position that most people have. But there are certain circumstances when, you know, life happens. Um, I, you also want to think about, have I had any medical procedures that maybe the hospital or the physicians that maybe they didn't fully get paid or your insurance was canceled and you've got a medical lien? And those are ugly bugs to get off of there. Right, Phil? Correct. Uh, here's, a, here's another thing that, that, that is in our world right now, and it's called the forbearance. Right. People don't understand. People don't understand that every month that they're in a forbearance, that money is going on the back end of their loan. So if your mortgage payment is fifteen hundred dollars a month, multiply that times twelve months of missed payments. 
That's $18,000 that's just gone on the back of your loan. And if you bought your house two years ago, there's a possibility now you no longer have any more equity in your home because your balance on your mortgage is increasing every month. I would tell folks they really need to understand what's happening in the forbearance, and they shouldn't be thinking, well, the lender is forgiving my payment. No, they're not forgiving your payment. They're allowing you not to make the payment, but that payment's going on the back end of your loan, and eventually it will come back and bite you. So, Phil, what are you seeing with regard to forbearance? Because I'm really not seeing much of it yet. Um, but for folks that do have their homes in forbearance right now that maybe want to make a move, maybe they've got a job offer in another state or, you know, whatever they, they need to move. When you say they put it on the back end, that makes perfect sense. But what are some of the other penalties that are, are out there with forbearance? Are they being charged interest that they may not be aware of? You're, you're still being charged, charged the interest that you would have been charged on your home loan. Now, they're not compounding that interest on the back end, and they're not charging you a penalty interest because you're, you're really not in default. It's a voluntary forbearance, all right? Uh, what they need to understand is if you bring the forbearance 100% current, you can immediately buy a refinance. Or if you get on a monthly payment arrangement to pay it back, you pay three consecutive monthly payments. After that, you can then buy or you can refinance. Okay. It all depends on the type of forbearance the consumer is in. I just don't want that consumer to think there's not a penalty. There is. The question is, when is that penalty going to hit you? And you need to understand how that penalty affects your equity position. And I will say, if if you have had something that you know was once a lien, like a medical lien, you know you had an accident, and you think that there could be something, you have to get what's called a satisfaction of release. You must have that. Um, if you, you do not want to show up at, after title work starts to come, and you, you, you need to put your ducks in a row before you sell and buy, you make sure you have that done, because the title company is going to require it, and it okay. could cause a serious financial hardship, Phil. Another thing that people don't think of as a lien, but it is just like a lien. It's called a judgment. Okay. If you have a judgment, and the judgment is on title, and sometimes I will see the judgment on credit. Not always the case. Sometimes it will come back and bite us when the title work comes back. Understand a judgment for $25,000 is just like a lien. You're not passing go. You're not collecting $200. You're immediately going to jail if you talk about the monopoly, uh, you know, uh, verbiage that I'm using right now. It's not good. <laughs> You're funny, Phil. Okay. So in all seriousness, though, like what could be some judgments that people see out there? Collection judgment. You owed AT&T $3,000 and they decide to take it to court and they get a judgment against you for $3,000. Now, after the judgment is rendered, they'll hit you potentially with an interest rate of 10 to 20% that'll accumulate on a monthly basement thereafter. So in other words, the judgment is increasing every single month until you get the payoff. 
that is something that has to be paid off. And that gets attached to your house. Correct. Right. Now, what I would tell folks, what I would tell folks is that judgments can normally be satisfied with a negotiation. And most of the time they can be satisfied for less. And a judgment that's satisfied for less does not penalize a borrower from either refinancing or from purchasing a home. As long as it's just as taken care as, of, Phil, is what you're saying? As long as it's taken, correct. As long as it's taken care of. And then it comes down to having a document, just like Mimi said, a satisfaction. And sometimes when we talk about a satisfaction, that's really a legal document that would get recorded. Whereas a letter from a collection agency stating that the debt's been satisfied, and yes, you paid it at a lesser amount, that's fine. Okay. But, but the point is, is you don't want this to be something that you find out after the fact. You, wanna, you want to do all of your discovery up front. Um, Phil, I mean, these things don't always show up on credit reports, correct? Correct. And okay. so sometimes they, will, sometimes they will come up on what's called a black knight report. And people, when I use the word black knight, they go, oh, my God, what is that? Right. It's a, fed, it's a federal government report that underwriters have access to, directly to the federal government, that shows if you owe money. And here's, here's one that I've seen, not often, but we're seeing more of it. You owe $50,000 in back student loans. You defaulted on your student loans. And guess what? It doesn't show on credit. But if it comes up on the Black Knight report, that's called a CAVERS report. And if we have a CAVERS, the federal government will literally hold you hostage okay. until that's paid. And you cannot refinance. You cannot buy. And I've literally got clients out there that will probably never buy a house because they're on a CAVERS report owing hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to the federal government and back student loans. Wow. And and that can't be handled in any way that you know about? Sure, it can be handled. It's called a discussion with the student loan companies and the federal government and getting some getting on a payment plan or working out some type of resolution. Well, Phil, unfortunately, sometimes Phil, sometimes how do they find you during the week? Head in the sand. I'm so sorry, Phil, we're going to have to wrap up, but tell us how we can get a hold of you during the week. 651 Two three eight six seven four eight or Phil at PaulPhilOlson.com. And Mimi, where are you? You can always reach us at MNRedHotRealEstate.com. We can also find us at MyTalk1071.com. Keyword.